Well, church, I have the great joy and, and privilege um, to introduce to you our, our guest preacher uh, today. Um, so let me give a, a little bit of an introduction uh, here. Um, this is a, a good friend of the Claremonts and the Haas family as well. Um, and so Chris Hatch, um, I'll invite him up in just a, a moment, um, is going to be bringing God's word to us. Um, but I want to give a little bit of context here, uh, too. And some of you are like, hey, you can just shut up now and get off the stage. But let me just talk for just a moment, all right? Um, one of the things that I was praying is we are in this series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. We return to this every January, and we look at particular themes about God's heart for justice. We looked at the Hebrew word mishpat last week, and God's heart for the nations, for racial reconciliation, for this global, like, diverse family. Like, it's one of the themes that we look at. And I preached that message over the last four or five years, but one of my prayers going into this new year was, Lord, would you provide even somebody else to come for, to bring a different voice. Um, I am by no means an expert in these, these matters. Um, it is something that I'm continuing to learn and grow in and just asking, Lord, would you do that? And honestly, um, I wasn't thinking that that was actually going to, to happen, but God providentially um, had for it, for uh, the connections, particularly with the, the Claremonts too, to help make some arrangements and Tracy, who is our youth and women's director to say, hey, I've got somebody um, uh, that I know very well who is passionate about what we're going to talk about today and what we're dealing with in this particular series. And I'll reach out um, and see, and literally within like 10 minutes in the staff meeting, she's like, boom, done. So she's very efficient, right? So got this all uh, together. But just let me tell you a little bit about uh, Chris, and then we can uh, welcome him uh, here. But um, Chris was born in St. Louis, uh, raised uh, throughout the, the U.S. South. His wife is Josephine, who's here with us today as well, which, um, yes, it's great to have, have you here. Um, she was born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, all right? They met at Covenant College, got married in 1993. Um, they've got two children, Rahel and Caleb, and as of 2020, a new son-in-law, uh, Rakeem Brown. Um, after completing seminary, the Hatches, they lived in Chattanooga, they lived in St. Louis, where they worked in several low-income African-American neighborhoods. In 2005, they moved to London to work with a missions organization called Surge. We love the work that Surge does. Many of our discipleship resources, uh, we have, have come from them, all right? Um, they spent five years working on the South Asia-focused fo South Hall team, and then they spent eight years planting New City Church in the multi-ethnic community of Shepherd's Bush in London. I believe it was during this time that they got connected with Tracy, who was an intern. If you've got any Tracy intern stories, feel free to tell them. It's going to be great. All right. Um, Chris and Josephine now serve in dual roles with Surge as a regional supervisor in the UK, overseeing several teams, and also as area specialist for contextualization and culture, which is, that's just a cool title, supporting the mission and vision of Surge as a multicultural community called into cross-cultural missions. Chris is also currently pursuing a PhD in intercultural studies. Clearly, he knows more than me at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago. Um, if you want to learn more, too, um, if you go to thisiscp.church um, and you click on the sermon notes uh, this morning, there's a link uh, as well where you can find ways to, to follow the work that the Hatch family is doing, connect with them via social, other things like that. Would you uh, welcome Chris Hatch this morning? Thanks, it's great to have you. Yeah. Thank no, you for bringing God's word. Good to be here. Um, yeah, wow. That's, uh, I don't know if I can live up to all that. Uh, <laughs> that sounds like an impressive guy. I'm not sure that's me. But um, 
No, it's good to be here. Good to be here with you. I think I have a picture or two of our family. Uh, this is what we looked like in 2005 when we, um, when we moved to London. Um, and so Tracy, I think, was with us in 2007. So the kids were a little older than that. Um, and then as, as you heard, we, we were in one team and then we church planted. And the next picture is uh, our church, New City Church, that um, we planted in, in um, 2011, I think it, 10, 10 11, uh, 12, those, those years, uh, the Lord used Josephine and I and a number of other connections and people um, to see his work grow in the neighborhood of Shepherd's Bush. And then the next picture is kind of what we look now, look like now. This was uh, our daughter's wedding um, two years ago. It was a COVID wedding, one of those uh, 15 people in my, uh, our friend's uh, condo near uh, Moody Bible Institute in downtown Chicago. So that was, yeah, one of those difficult things. The wedding was going to be this, and then it was this, and then it was like this big um, kind of thing. But they... Um, are doing well in Chicago, and then our son is finished a couple years of college and taking a gap year and living with us in St. Louis. So that's sort of the, the background of, of who is speaking uh, with you today. We're going to look at 1 Peter, or 1 Peter, as we say in the UK, um, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. So if you have a Bible, um, you can look it up. Um, but I am going to read it. It might be on your uh, screen as well. So I'm reading from the ESV, and here we go in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone." And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks be to God for his wonderful word to us. Uh, I'm going to title this message, God's Multi-Ethnic Family. As uh, you already heard, that's sort of the theme um, that I, I've been asked to, to speak on. Um, and I'm wondering if you have ever been to, well, I'm assuming you've been to a family reunion and that we like them, sort of, although there's these cousins you don't really know. You're kind of wondering, ah, who are you? I can't remember your name, but I know we're related. My mom's family is, is fairly large. She was born on a farm in Illinois, and the, her, her siblings all scattered out 
all over the country and all over the world, really. Um, and the range of people is pretty dramatic uh, now, um, from her generation down to my generation and, and on down, from uh, farmers and mechanics to doctors and missionaries, uh, just a whole range of professions, and then a whole range of spiritual um, pl- places. And so you have missionaries and pastors, strong believers, followers of Jesus, and you have strong atheists who yeah, really don't want anything to do with the church. It is interesting. But my mom's uh, family reunion is nothing compared to the family reunion that God is preparing for his people. You see, we're in the beginnings of God gathering his family together, And it's pointing us to a place in the future that he'll call us all together. And as we gather today, right now in this place, we are with, spiritually with, millions of other people around the world in the global church who are praising Jesus in hundreds of different languages, in different kinds of settings, in in beautiful cathedrals, little chapels like you have here next door, but also in uh, hiding, as in China, worried about who might find them, or under a tree in India, or in parts of Latin America, or whatnot. God is building his family from all these different places for his glory, and he's building it right here in our multi-ethnic country. He's bringing us together, preparing us for that day, when we'll be singing his praises together. I got three points for you today. The first, the multi-ethnic church is the gathering of the Father's children. We call this family of God the church, and it's the worldwide as well as the local church. Look in these last two verses of our passage, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I love the way, Peter, he's sort of rolling through these descriptions, is he not, of who the followers of Jesus are. The phrase, a chosen people, reflects the fact that we were adopted by the Father. My son's best friend in London, uh, AJ, is adopted, and his parents, Harish and Marion, decided to pour their love upon AJ as a child who was not biologically theirs. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing for adoption. I don't know if you have in your family, but when parents choose to love a child who is in need of a family, that is wonderful. And it's a picture of what God, our Heavenly Father, how he relates to us as a chosen people who have been adopted into God's family. Peter continues here saying we're a royal priesthood. What do priests do? They point people to God. Priests do not say, I'm God. No, a priest points to God. They're a holy nation, not a physical nation like the U.S. or Germany or Korea. No, but God is calling us into a spiritual nation. And then he says here that we're his special possession, which to me I think is a very, like all these phrases, are load, is a loaded with meaning. Do you remember Gollum in Lord of the Rings? And remember what he called his ring? His precious. And maybe it's not good for me to compare our Heavenly Father to Gollum. Just, you know, I just have one little point I want to connect. So be careful. I got to be careful with my illustrations. 
But you remember how he was so obsessed with his possession, his precious, that he wanted there. And yes, he was a twisted creature. I know all, all this. But God, in his same way, is saying here that his people are his special possession. Out of everything in the world that he's created, his people, he has this relationship with them. Do you hear that? Sitting here now as followers of Christ, does that get into your head? Does it sink into your heart? The creator of all wants you to be his special possession. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to have a relationship that's, that's ultimate. Our Father is gathering his children. And he's creating something new. Once you were not a people, and now you are the people of God. You used to be scattered individuals doing your own thing, living your own life for yourself with your various ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, stories, histories, apart from God, apart from each other. But God's broken in and by his mercy, he's drawn you to, your, to himself. Peter wrote this letter that we're reading, First uh, Peter, later in his life when he was older before he was martyred, but he was not always an enthusiastic supporter of the church being multi-ethnic. In his earlier days, uh, Peter was filled with ethnic pride. He looked down on others who were not like him, who were not Jewish uh, like him. And in the beginning, obviously, Jesus was ethnically Jewish, and his disciples were ethnically Jewish, and the early converts, but that started to change. Uh, and the first city that really starts to change is in Antioch. It's a large, um, multi-ethnic city north of Israel. And in Acts 11, we read that the Jewish Christians were being persecuted in Jerusalem. And so they fled. And some of them fled north to Antioch. And they started sharing their new faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And they shared with people who were not Jewish. And these new followers of Jesus came from all over, from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, my ancestors um, from, uh, from Europe. And then in Galatians 2, we read that Peter has gone up to Antioch, and he starts enjoying food with his non-Jewish uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're eating their bacon and their pork chops, and he's, you know, in loving this with this diversity. This is so nice. And then guess what happens? In verse 12, we read, when they, his Jewish friends, came, Peter drew back and separated himself. So he's like, oh no, my old friends are here. What are they going to think about me living like this, eating like this? Oh, I, I, I better watch myself. I better not. I better not eat that bacon sandwich. So Peter stops eating with the Gentiles, these non-Jewish people. And because he was a leader in the church, the Jews started doing the same thing, stopped eating with their Gentile uh, uh, spiritual siblings as well. And so Paul comes, he's back from his mission trip, and he comes to the church in Antioch, and it's the first time for their uh, church meal together, and he sees trouble. Wait, all the Jewish people are over here, and all the non-Jewish people are over here. What is going on here? And, but is it really that big a deal that there's this division developing in the church? Well, Paul thinks so. 
He thinks so enough that he says in Galatians that he confronted Peter to his face. He got in his face and said, hey, I got to talk to you. What is going on here? He sees this ethnic division cutting at the core of the gospel. He knew that Peter's preference was more than just, this is what I'd like to eat. It's cutting when you divide the church into the ethnic groups. This is not God's plan for his people. And Paul could have said, hey, Peter, don't you know that God uh, has desires for us to be unified in the church? Don't you remember how Jesus uh, loved people from different backgrounds and, you know, prostitutes and tax collectors, uh, something like that? But no, because what's going to happen is the Jewish Christians are going to say, oh, those people, are they really following Jesus? They're not like, well, we're the real Christians. And the non-Jewish, they're going to be over like, Am I really doing it the right way? Am I really a follower of Jesus the way it's supposed to be? But Paul says to Peter, verse 14 of Galatians 2, it's profound. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he didn't see that they were breaking the rules Whatever, he sees that their conduct is not in step with the gospel. He steps into then, Paul steps into the confrontation with Peter. Unity, unity of the church is more than just your personal preference. The unity we display or unity we fail to display at the local church level is a testimony to the gospel of Jesus. So no less than the truth that we claim to believe is at stake here. If we get to the point when they say those people are not welcome in this congregation, we failed in the mission that God has called us to. The truth of the gospel is that we all stand equal, equally guilty under the wrath of God, no matter what our background no matter where you come from, no matter what your bank account says, no matter who your, uh, your dad was a pastor or no matter where you went to school or anything like that, we all come in need of God's grace. And we come into a relationship with our creator through repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus. And our heavenly father is doing something different by bringing people together who would not normally be together. And if we fail to share the reconciling love of God with the people around us, if we stay in our little groups, our little ethnic sort of enclaves of white and black and Asian and Hispanic and immigrant and educated and wealthy and working class or whatever divisions you want to make up, then our conduct is not in step with the gospel. But let's be honest, it's honest, it would be much easier if church was full of people that were just like me, who were born in the Midwest, who were men, you know, if we could just have men in here, um, that would just be a lot easier if it was a little male club. Um, if you were educated, you know, college, college educated, 
um, reformed, you know, evangelical reformed. You know, that's okay. I can, you know, I can, you know, Jamie, we, I can, I can, he's a Midwest guy and we kind of, we can connect. It's easy. But that's not the Christian club that God calls us to. That's not God's intention. He doesn't want to leave us comfortable. He is changing us. He's molding us and he used people, he uses people who are different. Different experiences, different perspectives on life to challenge me and to make me feel uncomfortable at times. And that's okay. Church is not about me. It's not about me. It's built upon Jesus and him alone. Second point, the multi-ethnic church is built upon Jesus. Go back to 1 Peter. First few verses we read. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. This starts with this phrase, as you come to him, letting us know we need to come back to Jesus again and again. It's not a one time, oh, I, I say the prayer, I, I raise my hand, I, you know, this sort of, no, we are, we are sinners in need of grace. You come the walk of repentance and faith, whether you're five years old or 55 like me or 85, it doesn't matter. We keep coming back to Jesus day in and day out. And you're going to continue to struggle until your days are done. But the Lord is faithful in that struggle. But Peter then says, you also, like living stones, verse 5, are being built into a spiritual house. Do you get that? You come together and you're being built into something. He's in the process of building this spiritual house out of you and out of me, together, as we come together in the local church. We are the building blocks of this spiritual house, so to speak. As was mentioned, my wife Josephine is from Kenya, and so we travel there to see family uh, regularly. And if, uh, a while back, my brother-in-law was adding on to his house, and so they had a, a pile of stones that were sort of rough stones uh, delivered, uh, to the house, and then there were a group of um, stonemasons who would come every day, and they would work on this pile of rough stones that had been delivered, and they would take a chisel, a hammer, and they would sort of work on it to make it smooth. They would hold it up in careful swings. They knew, obviously, what they were doing, um, and they took a rough-looking stone and made it into a, a usable stone that could be built and is now part of the house uh, there in Nairobi. God is doing the same thing with us. He doesn't strip us back. Those rough stones were still stones. God doesn't strip us of who we are and became this sort of generic Christian person when you come to him. No. He uses your ethnic background, your gender, your financial place, your educational history, whatever, whatever. He uses that for his glory. He molds you with who you are. He doesn't let you stay the same way, but he's going to mold you into the person he wants you to be as part of his spiritual house that he's building in this place so that this broken down world that we live in People might meet their creator as they come and see, wow, this is a house of people living in a different kind of way, 
a way that brings glory to God and is good for the community. The stonemasons don't allow sort of stones to just have, I mean, you don't really have stones sticking out like this, but okay, there are little parts of them out here and out there, and that's not the way it works. It's, they don't fit together. God is not going to allow you, allow his people. He is going to do things in your life that are just going to mold you so that you can become the man or the woman that he desires you to be and so that you can work together with your fellow members in this local congregation. That's where it happens as you're working together, worshiping together, and sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes there needs to be confrontation. Sometimes there needs to be encouragement as we walk through life together. But who is this spiritual house built upon? It's built upon Jesus, as it says, that cornerstone. In the ancient world, the cornerstone was that first stone that was laid to set up the whole rest of the building. And it had to be a good stone. You couldn't just throw any old stone in there. It had to be a good one. And it had to be perfectly aligned. Otherwise, the whole building's going to be out of whack. It's not going to work. And I'm telling you, that is what God desires for his local church. We're not going to hold up diversity or multi-ethnic, some other sort of thing as what's the ultimate. No, Jesus is our ultimate, and you want to have a congregation that is centered upon the person and work. And we're going to take ethnicity seriously. We should recognize that and who the people are that God brings. We're going to think about those things. But that's not what we center the local church upon. God is moving people around the world for his purposes. As Paul says in Acts 17, he moves people. He determines the times and the places that they should live so that the local church then can be a place that honors the Lord and it's surprising to the people that look at it. They're like, well, what is happening there in that group of people? But that's not easy. And that's why the local church, third point, has to be uh, empowered by the Spirit. Look here in verses 7 and 8. So the honor is for you who believe, but, not, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Peter here is quoting two Old Testament passages. The first from uh, Psalm 18 and the second from the book of Isaiah chapter 8. The psalm is a royal psalm and it's praising God for his salvation. And the enemies of the writer have almost conquered him, but God breaks in and he brings salvation. So it's a song of joy. Look at what God has done. This is great. The stone the build rejected has become the cornerstone, the foundation. And then Peter goes on in Isaiah to quote, and the prophet's warning against walking in the ways of the people who do not honor God. He will become, here's a quote from Isaiah, he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both the houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Isaiah is speaking to his own people. The warnings there that just because you were born in Israel, just because your parents were Christians, doesn't mean you're part of God's family. 
you don't just sort of automatically become part of this spiritual house. It can become a firm foundation. We pray for our children, that they would be part of the house that God is building. But the person and work of Christ can become a stumbling stone for some. Jesus is the one who unites, but he also divides. And this division is not based on your race or your background, your ethnicity or your education or whatever. It's based upon, do you believe, are you trusting in the finished work of Christ? There are people who disobey the word of God, and we shouldn't be surprised at that. That should not surprise. Sinners are going to sin. That's normal. What's going on out there? My concern is what's going on in here. And as you think personally, your disobedience doesn't remove you from the house. It causes you, the spirit, to come again and say, Lord, have mercy on me should drive you to repentance. People don't earn their right to be adopted. The Spirit pours his, uh, the, the God pours his Spirit upon them and loves them. Our good Father chooses who he wants to love. And the Holy Spirit is the one who changes hearts and gives us desires to obey. So if you're struggling this morning, you have sin patterns you see, cry out, Spirit, change my heart, change my desire. I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to serve you with everything that I've got. Yes, there's going to be struggles, but the Lord is at work through his Spirit. The Apostle John writes, to all who received him, to believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're becoming part of this spiritual house is not like, let's try harder, let's really make it happen. No, you're crying out for mercy, the will of God, come, Lord, show up in my life. He pours out his spirit, he does. He does. He will. He will be at work if you cry out to him. As you come to the living stone, as verse 4 says, with your heart and your mind open to the love of God, he will show up. As you lay down your pride in whatever you're holding on to, in whatever you think gives you self-worth, whether it's your ethnic pride or it's your bank account pride or it's your educational pride or it's your physical ability pride or whatever you, we have all kinds of things we love to put our, our pride in and build our life upon. Lay it down, lay it down, admit your rebellion, place your faith in the solid rock, the solid stone of Jesus and he will mold you into the man, into the woman. He will show you mercy no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened to you in the past. He will show you mercy. He is the master builder, even of this church right here. And there will become a day as we point into the future when God will gather the saints from around the world in all these different sort of ethnic backgrounds and types of worship that we languages and they'll cry out, worshiping God, salvation belongs to our God. 
Revelation 7, one of my favorite verses, points to this. John gives us a vision of the future of that family reunion with a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, singing his praises. That is what we're heading to. May the Lord mold us now in this place to prepare us for where he's taken us into the future. Let us pray. Father, you are at work in ways that we don't understand, in ways that are challenging, ways that are confusing at times. But we pray, Spirit, that you would show up to mold us, to change us, into the people that you want us to be, not all alike, not with the same stories, but that you would use our stories, use our backgrounds, use our ethnicity for your glory, for what you're doing in this place. That is our hope, that you would carry us along to that great family reunion as we circle the throne of grace to worship you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.